Halloween night, truly a scary night, but I saw something yesterday that's, uh, well, it scared me, and I think it scares anyone as we uh, continue to age in the province. Uh, This is a report from Ontario's fiscal watchdog, specifically the financial accountability officer, Peter Weltman, that said basically the problem of hallway health care is going to get worse over the next two years. Why is it going to get worse? To answer that question, Peter Weltman joins the show right now. Peter, it's good to have you on again. Thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Okay, what is at the heart of hallway medicine getting even worse in the next two years, in your opinion? So the issue with the hallway medicine, or part of the issue, is you have a number of patients who are in hospital beds waiting for a space in a long-term care facility. And the wait list for Ontarians to, for a long-term care facility is around 38,000 or 30 in that, in that ballpark. And that wait list will actually get worse before it, or longer before it gets better. Um, the government has announced that it's going to build 15,000 new long-term care beds, but those do take some time to be put into place. They take about three years from the time that the bed is allocated or the, the contract is awarded until the time the bed is actually in use. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a bit of a lag. Consequently, unless there are other things or other policy options that are put in place, if more hospital beds are added to the system or some other way to triage those folks out of those hospital beds, then the, uh, we're likely going to see longer wait times, both for long-term care and, and for uh, and for emergency or whatever, hospital services. Peter, I don't know if you have access to this, but what's the average amount of time that people are on the wait list waiting for beds in long-term care? So this year, or last year rather, that was about 152 days on average across the province. So so in some places it's worse, in some places it's better. Uh, We see that going to 179 days in 2021. Then the new beds start to kick in, so we start to see that drop back to about 140 days by 2023-24. What's interesting, though, is that at the heart of it, that 140, while it's still better than 152 today, you still have about the same number of patients on the waiting list, or, or, or residents, patients probably not the right word, uh, as you do today. So the 15,000 beds are going to be there effectively to maintain the status quo, uh, but it's not going to make a really, you know, it's not going to make any difference in the wait times that we're experiencing today. Do you think the government was aware of that when they decided uh, they put this $1.7 billion over the next five years towards these uh, 15,000 new beds at an estimated cost to operate at around $970 million a year? I think uh, not just this government, but I think previous governments have been aware of it. In fact, there's an anecdote going around in a book that I read that they were aware of this back in the 60s when the education budget was very, was very large and the baby boomers were starting to get into schools. And I think there was an anecdote saying, thank God I'm not going to be health minister 50 years out because we're going to have to do something with all, these, with all these folks. So this is not a new problem. This is one that's been known for a very long time. It's very easy to predict. Um, another a little example to help illustrate the issue, a roughly 4% of all 75-year-olds require long-term care roughly and are in long-term care. Roughly 20% of 85-year-olds are in long-term care. Uh, we are living longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a cohort of baby boomers that are going to start to turn 75 next year, and there are a whole bunch of people who were born before, after them that are going to come through the system, and as they age, that, 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 that demand will ramp up. So this is something that has been predicted. I think back in the 60s, nobody could predict how long people would live because obviously our lifespan is extended, but demand is going to increase, and that's been a fairly easy one, if you will, to, to predict. We're living longer, but aren't we healthier 
Well, that's not something we looked at uh, in the report. That certainly does play into it. And, uh, you know, there may be other ways to, to assess uh, the, the health and the quality of those folks who are living longer. In any event, it's not like everybody's going into long-term care. So, if, you know, the 20% that I mentioned who are yeah. long-term care, there's still 80 that are that are doing just fine at 85 years old. You mentioned and, this. Guess, hmm? Sorry, Peter. You mentioned this problem happened uh, long ago. It's, it originated long ago. I was uh, speaking to a good friend of mine who uh, is a liberal supporter, and she placed uh, the blame on the Harris government for where hallway medicine started, uh, where this whole problem started. But it, truth be told, you found out that the liberals didn't do much either. Can you tell us a little bit about that in your report? I think I, that I'm glad you gave me the opportunity. So in the past 15 years, there has been virtually no change in long-term care beds. And we have a nice little chart right at the front end that basically says between 2011 and 2018, <clears throat> we've seen 0.8% uh, growth in long-term care beds, uh, but we've seen a 20% growth in folks who would be needing those sort of long-term care. There were homes built before that back in, um, going by memory here, 09, I believe. Uh, but really for the last, uh, the last 15 odd years, it's been pretty, it's been pretty flat. So early on in the Liberals' mandate, they did add, uh, about 10,000 new beds. Uh, but that was early on. And then for, like I said, for the last 15 years, very little has been done. Um, in, in long-term care, there have been other initiatives, I think, on terms of home care and that sort of thing. What has to happen to make a difference here? Um, that's a very good question. A uh, great question for you know our MPPs to debate and discuss. They're probably there. Need the simple the thing the way I can answer that there needs to be a reduction in demand for long term care. So either we need to find a way to to to, to care for folks without having to put them into a long term care facility. Or we need to find other other you know ways to deliver long-term care uh, facilities in, in, in different ways. So there there may be there, there may be home care options. I think it's worth looking how other jurisdictions manage it. Uh, maybe keep, if people are healthier, they're going to live better. They won't need to go into long-term care. There are a whole bunch of different policy options that need to be considered way beyond the mandate or my ability. Uh, but there's a lot of work to do and a lot of thinking to be done to, to, to manage this problem. I think where we come in is we put the problem up in the window for people to have a look at and say, wow, this is the size of the problem, this is the wait list implication, yeah. this is the delay implication, and this is the dollar implication. Okay, now we have the parameters, now we need to get to work and figure out how to solve it. And these are provincial long-term care homes. Is, this gonna, is your report going to... Uh, I guess, lead people in the private sector to say, oh, you know what, let's get on it. We've, we've got money. There's money to be made. Well, <clears throat> there already is a lot of long-term care offered by private operators. It's just you have to pay for it. Right. And it's expensive. Um, well, it is what it is. Some people, For some people it's expensive. For some people it's not. Uh, but if, for folks who don't have the means, then they rely on a publicly funded uh, long-term care facility. So this is this is the area we're talking about. We're not talking about all long-term care, just the publicly funded stuff. You know what I can't believe, Peter? Uh, well, I guess I can now when you talk about the fact that the private, you know, for people that have the money, I guess they've got somewhere they can go. And you make quite a bit of money when you're in government. Um, and depending on how long you're in government, you might, you know, get a pretty sweet pension. It seems very short-sighted that the people in government are always usually middle-aged and they're not looking ahead to, well, that could be me down the line. Why wouldn't I get on making some, uh, getting some shovels in the ground and making sure we have long-term care homes? 
I don't know that that's an entirely fair statement to make, at least the anecdotally, the people that I've talked to. I think everybody's scared by this report. I think everybody's concerned. I think everybody knows somebody who's going to need long-term care, whether it's for them or a relative. So I agree with you. There is certain, there should be, you know, there should be an incentive, but I don't think the incentive is not there. I think people are thinking about it, but I think there are, it's, it's, it's a complicated issue because there are a lot of different different things involved. Another option is, you know, the whole idea of medically assisted death and how does that factor into to this. So, uh, and I don't want to mm-hmm. go there any further than that. No, because you're opening a whole can of worms it, yeah. and, and, and that can of worms, it's not a provincial can of worms, right? I mean, it's, not, it's federal, so. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that adds another layer of complexity to it. So definitely, as I said, I'm glad we've been able to put the problem out the window. I'm glad we've been able to cost it from a, from a delivery and a, and a service level and a, and a dollar point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly already spurring debate as to how to best solve it. Just you and I are having this discussion right now, and hopefully a lot of other people are too. Yeah, and if you're just uh, joining us, uh, we've got Peter Weltman on the line. He's Ontario's Financial Accountability Officer. And the numbers are adding 55,000 new beds would have to be in place by 2033 in order to make it difference. Otherwise, this hallway health care is going to continue. Yes. And so the 55,000, again, what that does is that just maintains the status quo. That's on top of the 15,000 beds that the government's already uh, committed to. Um, So it's going to, you know, it'll make a difference in that the problem won't get worse, but it's not going to get better. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So the hallway medicine is here for a while. I understand that the the provincial government right now is looking at other things like trying to keep seniors at home as long as they can so that they can avoid going into long-term care. That might be one way to look at it. But, you know, you have a fall and you got, you know, busy people in your lives that can't take care of you. That's that's problematic for a lot of people, right? It might not be a reality being able to stay in your own home. I, I think... I think you're right. And again, based on my limited anecdotal experience, and most people that I know and that I talk to uh, would love to stay in their homes as long as they possibly can. So I think you're right on that one. I live on a street in Ottawa where most of my neighbors have been there for 40 years. It's astounding. It must be something in the water. A lot of them are, you know, they're, they're, they've been there for a long time and they're still in their homes. Peter, do you think the report and what you say in the report is going to break through and, and there will be some changes made? Because we are talking about a government that is trying to get their finances under wraps here, under control. Well, I think there are a lot of ways to, to approach the problem. And, and uh, I think the government is has, you know, is certainly... My sense is they are seized with this. They are they're clearly aware of the implications. And I think there's a lot of work going on to try to figure out how to manage this in a fiscally you know, responsible, responsible is, is, is their line, in a fiscally responsible manner. Um, but ultimately, that's what, you know, thank God I'm not a politician. I don't have to be involved in that. Uh, these are where the tough choices are made. So where does the money get spent? Do we raise taxes to pay for this? Do we move money from one problem, a program to another? Uh, these are all difficult choices to make, and that's why it's important to have good discussion, good debate, great research, good evidence-based research to try to provide policy options 
and make some decisions. And these are important people and people that, you know, we, we talk about kids all the time and how we have to protect the vulnerable uh, members of society, those being kids. Now we're talking about vulnerable members of society that are our, uh, possibly our parents, our grandparents. They've, uh, they have uh, paid into systems for years and years, and now they need care. And it would be nice if it was available for everyone, uh, but it looks like we're going to have to wait uh, a bit of time for that to to occur. Thank you so much, Peter. As always, I just, I know you're a busy man and I appreciate you making some time in your day for us. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Peter Wellman is Ontario's financial accountability officer and his report says that we're hallway medicine, not going anywhere because uh, we, we've got a shortage in long-term care beds. And even with the government adding another uh, 15,000 new beds, we're still going to be a bit short. It's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.